Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. We have news for you all. Yeah, we are so excited to share that as so many of you have asked for us to host more than just one week-long immersive experience, we are bringing another retreat into the fold this year. And this time we're headed to Nosara, Costa Rica, June 3rd through 10th. Yeah. We heard you. We heard you. We're doing more. We're trying. (laughs) This time, though, we're actually bringing in two of our dear friends and colleagues to come along with us and join the party. So we're going to have Ashley Torrent and Millie Murillo there. Um, And honestly, the four of us together, I don't know, our powers combined, drawing from our collective work in the healing modalities of psychotherapy, coaching, mediumship, astrology, somatic movement, group processing, all the things. We'll be supporting you all in reclaiming every aspect of the most fulfilling life you can possibly live. It's going to be such a transformational week. I'm so excited already. And if you are interested in learning more, you can go to the link in either of our social bios or head over to Vanessa's website at vanessabennett.com. And we have payment plans available for this one as well. Yeah, definitely hit me up on email if you want to know more about that. We are super excited and we hope to see you all there. Hey, y'all, welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. So today's episode is the part two of a two-part series that was recorded during a live workshop that Danae and I were leading around the topic of self-abandonment. And we led this workshop in our private online community, our Cheaper Than Therapy community that we are just now launching to the world, right? (laughs) So some of the topics we cover, we talk more about self-abandonment again, because you know, it's like one of our favorite topics. (laughs) We also kind of went through some... I guess we rolled around, right? And this idea of how to not lose yourself in relationship, right? So how self-confidence can tend to get lost in romantic relationships. Um, we talked about this desire to start dating again, but being afraid that old codependent patterns that we've already maybe done some work around or explored might pop up again and how that fear mm. might keep us kind of not from moving forward, right? And then we also talked about how to be okay and function when a partner kind of does the cold shoulder or ignores you and like Mm. what that brings up in you and how to still be okay in yourself. Uh, And then finally, um, did I already say finally? Well, finally, finally, um, (laughs) how do, how do you stop controlling what your partner does or not does or does not do? Right. So we went into the topic of the feeling of mothering. 
mm-hmm. and over-functioning, which we love to talk about as well. So this is a good, a good, a good episode. We cover a lot of things. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things we're most passionate about is the healing power of community. I think both of us have really just had such profound experiences of what it is to witness one another and mirror one another. And um, I think we became so passionate about launching this community because both of us have had the experience of a lot of people either reaching out for us, asking for additional support or, you know, saying that it's really hard to find support or mental health professionals that they resonate with in their community. And also just that, you know, we live in a country where there's an exorbitant cost around mm-hmm. um, mental health support and, we wanted this community to be accessible. We wanted this community to be something affordable, but also something where anyone can join and sort of um, feel like they are a part of something instantly. So a little bit of what you can expect in our um, cheaper than therapy community that we are launching is that every week we're going to have small process groups, um, and a variety of our favorite topics to explore codependency recovery. V is going to get in there um, as she does so beautifully with that spirituality, uh, relationships and love. And then really excited that Vanessa is also going to have a support group for healers and mental health professionals and offering some support for that. Cause I know that's something that, um, people ask for a lot as well. Um, we're going to have two live Q and a workshops every month, one led by Vanessa and I, and another led by just a guest speaker, some of our favorite people in the, you know, wellness community, people we've had on the podcast that we've really been inspired by the work that they're doing in the world. We're going to bring them back and you guys will get to interact with them a little bit more intimately, which is exciting. So, you know, this is something that we've had going for a couple months now. We've had some people in there just sort of being our guinea pigs and testing it out and running some groups and already um, just really in love with the connection and Mm -hmm. the way that it is feeling really supportive to have this space. So um, you can check out the link in both of our social bios. Um, I think it's up going to be up on V's website and um, yeah, on our cheaper than therapy links and all the things. And so it'll just be an opportunity for all of us to come together in community. And we're really excited about it. Yeah. Can't wait to see you all in the groups. Okay. Another question. You ready? Yes. Okay. So how to new, let's just go, go real broad. I've been thinking how to not lose yourself in relationships, right? I seem to start strong with voicing my feelings, goals, boundaries, et cetera, but then I taper off. My self-confidence gets lost at times in romantic relationships. I've come a long way from where I began, yet I still know I have work to do. Mm. But, <laughs> well, I mean, I would say the more attached we get, the scarier it gets. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, the more I, I feel the riskier it gets, right? The more I've got... um the more I've got invested in something or in someone, the scarier it becomes to think about losing that attachment. And I would say that's even like friendships too. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, for me. you know, my premise is that like, I don't think most of us, and this is aggressive, but I'm going to say it anyway. I don't think most of what I experience societally in terms of romantic love, especially is actually love. It is attachment. And Mm -hmm. I think that there are ways that when we believe that we need to maintain attachments, we will attempt to control and coerce and manipulate and um, make ourselves small and all the self-abandoning things that we're talking about. We do that because we are afraid. Um, I think our primary relationship should stay and be with ourselves if we want to actually love another person, if we actually want to be able to be present with another person. But From my perspective, that requires a radical reframing of what it is to be in relationship with another person. And that means that this person never belongs to me and we are sovereign even as we walk the path of partnership together. And so I think it is actually important to hold um, this person might not be here together or excuse me, tomorrow forever, because if I hold that relationship that way, I just feel like I meet that person a little bit differently than if I feel like I have the promise of they're always going to be here. I think it's sort of, um, there's like a complacency or a taking for granted and it's a practice. Absolutely. But I think if I say this person, and this is like on a soul level, um, 
belongs to the cosmos and is their own unique soul. And I, I get to have them in my life and it's a privilege as long as it um, is in alignment for both of us, but I'm not promised that there be, they will be here tomorrow. I just think that there's a different level of reverence that we hold what it is to be in relationship with this person. If we continuously bring um, that awareness back, you know what I mean? Yeah. um, I was just thinking about how, you know, I was, I remember when I was first doing my own therapy work, I remember saying to my therapist, like, I don't understand. I don't suffer, suffer from all these things or struggle with all these things in all areas of my life. Like when I'm at work, I'm like, super boundaried, super clear about what I'm feeling, super clear about what I'm needing. Like I take no shit. Like I'm very, um, and then when I'm in my, not just romantic, but in my friend relationships too, that was when I struggled with the boundaries and the rocking the boat and the speaking up and the communicating my needs and all these things. And I do remember her saying very clearly, like, well, the level of kind of vulnerability, the level of intimacy, the level of like, again, fear of of losing the attachment is like in direct proportion sometimes to like how you show up authentically. Um, And she's like, it's usually a pretty clear, like, like balancing act. And um, I just remember being like, oh, shit, well, now what do I do with that information? (laughs) Like, that's cool to know that. But like, now what, right? And, and I think to your point, Danae, it, it started to become a practice of, um, well, there's no such thing actually as being able to maintain an attachment because this person could get hit by a bus tomorrow, right? So like, no matter how much I act out of like fear and desperation to maintain an attachment, it still doesn't mean that I can maintain the attachment. It can still blow up in my face tomorrow. Um, and so if that's the truth, which it is, how can I then in this moment show up as authentically as I can? Um, I was thinking, Ange, what you were talking about earlier reminded me of me just being in a space, I think in my life where I've been like, no, I'm not, I'm just going to be me. Like from now on, I'm just going to fucking be me to my absolute annoying fullest self and like take it or fucking leave it. Like I'm so sick of cherry picking and fitting myself into how I think you want to perceive me. And, And I'm just like, this is exhausting. I also think having a kid has really kind of amplified that because now it's like, I don't want her to then learn that too. Right. It's like, I want her to just be herself, um, regardless of what happens. And so I don't know, like sometimes we need things like I, I, in my opinion, sometimes we need things like relationships ending, friendships blowing up, shit like that happening to almost remind us of that. Like, no, fuck this. Like I'm done with this. Right. Like we need that kind of jolt. I think every once in a while to remind us of like, why am I doing this work? Mm. Um, and I don't know, I've had one of those recent jolts and I mean, it's not as clear cut as I'd like it to be, but it's definitely helped, I think, be a motivator. Um, yeah, I, Kelly, I don't know if you're willing to, to talk to us about it, but, um, I, yeah, I, I was just reading where you said you would like to have an attachment and be sovereign. And, um, I would like to hear a little bit more about like, you know, one, what like attachment means to you as you think about it and, and why that feels like a longing that I have not, I mean, I feel like I understand, but I want to hear it in your words. Um, no, um, I, so that's a really good question. What does attachment mean to me? Um, I am in a love relationship and I feel very attached to my partner. Um, and what I have been working on over the last, say, 18 months or so, what we've both been working on is a healthy attachment, um, you know, through couples therapy, through individual work, um, through this, through the chat lab as well. Um, and it always, I, I always find myself kind of struggling when I sort of, I sort of bump up against this weird barrier where around needs, right. And, and, um, the question I, I'm always asking myself is, is this his or is it mine? Like in, in what I'm asking for, in what I'm feeling like I need, in what I feel like is like a real bottom line thing that I need, um, but may or may not be something that my partner wants to meet me on. Um, where it, Where do I call on my courage to say, or how do I call on my courage and say, no, this is, I actually, this, I need this to be in partnership with you. Mm-hmm. Um, is that unhealthy attachment or is that just me setting 
a boundary. I, I get so confused. And I really feel like it, there, it is possible to have romantic love and healthy attachment at the same time. I'm just not sure if I have it. <laughs> I don't know how to discern. Yeah. You know, I think whenever I hear a conversation around needs, and of course we all have needs, of course we all have. And I, a lot of times, especially in romantic relationships, like to talk about it in the context of desires, because I feel like we conflate sometimes, like what is an actual, like, I need this, or like, this is something that I desire to have in a reciprocal partnership, right? Um and for me, like my work first is always to get curious about the why underneath the need. Why does this feel important to me? What would this give me if I had this? Um, what feels historic about not having this need met in the way that I'm longing for it to be met? And I'm wondering if like, if you have an example of one that comes to mind that we might be able to workshop a little bit in terms of like, this is a, a need that I feel like I have that sometimes we grapple with. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the thing that comes up for me a lot is around, um, I guess you would call them acts of service. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel like, um, <laughs> this is probably going to sound kind of juvenile, but like, if I'm going somewhere, if I'm going to the store, if I'm going to a coffee shop, if I'm going to the food store, I always think, what is my partner? What might my partner need and ask? Right. And Sometimes he will and sometimes he won't. And I realize that there's nothing there. Like there's nothing behind that. It's not like he's being selfish or, you know, there's nothing behind it at all. Um, and I can, I can prevent myself from falling into the trap of telling myself the story that so inconsiderate. He doesn't care. Right. Yeah. He doesn't care. Right. Um, and yet I really want to be in a relationship where there is that want to do that for your partner not oh I should ask because she's going to be upset if I don't ask you know just a genuine desire to have that kind of reciprocated back and forth and that's a really like silly example but there's other you know I mean there's other it's not I a think, silly example it's a very real example yes. I, feel oh, like I'm listening, I feel and like I'm listening to you talk about me and John <laughs> it's definitely not a need I don't need the copy I don't I don't need the thing but I feel like I, I feel a deep desire for a partner that wants to show up for me in those little ways. Um, would it make me feel loved? Yes. Is that healthy? I don't know. But I know I'm not willing to like throw anything away because I'm not getting it. Right. But how do I, I guess I, how do, I think I'm getting better at regulating myself around those situations and not getting like dysregulated about it and weird. And then he's all like, what's going on? And is everything okay? Or he just backs off, like mm-hmm. something's wrong. And I'm just going to like retreat because I'm not sure what the deal is. Um, but I would just like to get to a, I guess I'd maybe I'd like to get to a place where I don't care about it or don't need yeah. it. But it keeps coming up for me. It's like, I want to do this for you. And I would really like a partner who wants to do it for me too. Mm. Vanessa? <laughs> would you well, like to talk about your ass of service? That's back- why I was like, I feel like I'm listening to you talk about me and John. Um, you know, I had a... So back when John and I first started dating, I remember very similarly saying to him, when we go to bed, you get yourself a glass of water and you don't even think, right? And and Sam's laughing because I've I've told this story, I think, in lab class before, where I've been like, like, I of course I can get my own glass of water. I have two hands. I'm capable of that. But like, does it not even cross your mind that like maybe if you're getting one for you, you should just get one for me too, you know? Um, very specific example. And you're right. It doesn't come from a place of like that. He doesn't care. It doesn't come from, I mean, a lot of it I think has to do with like sibling order and like maybe never really had to have that skill fine-tuned of needing to like look out for everybody else around them and like anticipate needs, which I think a lot of us did. We were primed to anticipate the needs of other people. Now, does that actually make me a more caring person? Or does that actually just mean that I've been primed to anticipate other people's needs, right? Um, and so 
that's been a lot of the grappling with us is it's like, I don't know that that makes me any more of a caring or him any less of a caring. I think really what it is, is I'm showing care in a different way based on my story. And he's showing care in his own way based on his story. Now, that's kind of one component. I think the other component, and maybe this is kind of part of what you would say, Danae, is, uh, you know, when you said it's not something I want to leave over, like I'm not, I'm not ready to leave the relationship. I do think at some point we have to ask ourselves, um, you know, this is who this person is. This is how they show their love. Is this the kind of love that I'm willing to participate in or not? Um, you know, and I, I don't think that that means there's never going to be activation around it. I don't know that that's realistic. I think I get activated still, you know, the way that I respond to the activation now is a lot different maybe because I am in that continual process of like, this is who this person is. Do I want to participate in this or not? Like I'm asking myself that question regularly. Um, but I, I don't know that it ever like goes away if that makes sense. I don't know today. What do you think? Well, you know, from my perspective, we have grown up in a very attachment-based um, society in terms of our ideas of romantic love. Not all um, cultures are like this to the extent that we are, certainly in American culture. And like my supervisor is, is you know, didn't grow up in America. And so like I, I have had like the perspective of like other ways that people around the world do relationships. And yes, there is... Um, there's not a right or wrong, I guess, is the reason I'm saying that. I tend to, with the couples that I work with, attempt to support them in creating a more differentiated version of partnership. And what that means is I find that most of us are raised that our partner should be doing our reparenting work for us. So mm. most of what we um, feel drawn to, <clears throat> excuse me, in terms of our... Um, love languages. So if Vanessa's love language is an act of service, normally that has to do with something that I feel like I didn't get in childhood, that I'm longing to have that experience in a partnership. Now we're not wrong for having that desire. What I would say though, is what most of us end up doing is choosing a person who does not have the same love language, does not experience love in the same way and making them wrong for the rest of our lives for not experiencing world the way that I do. Meaning mm -hmm. I was married to someone who acts of service was their love language. And not only did they show love to me in that way, but that was what they sort of had Expected. the expectation of from me. Now, I don't experience love in the same way. Like you can give me an act of service and I'll be like, that's nice. But if you do it, I sort of think that's how you move through the world. I don't like anticipate that you're wanting that back from me, which is normally why the person who is doing the act of service, it's like, I'm hoping someone will love me in the same way. But what ends up happening, I find with couples so often is because you are not loving me in the way that feels like love to me, I'm going to start responding to you in some very unloving ways, meaning I'm going to feel resentful that you're not doing the act of service. I'm going to think the way that you love is wrong and the way that I love is right. Like, I'm a very words of affirmation person. So like for Vanessa, that might not do it for her because she just is sort of like, well, I mean, whatever, like say it, I don't really care. But for me, if someone gives me words of affirmation, I feel so seen and known and cherished. And it's like, but I'm going to choose someone whose love language is acts of service. It doesn't feel like love to me, but I'm going to be pissed off forever that you're not loving me in the way that I want to be loved. Now, to your point, Kelly, I don't think that means like chuck the relationship. Mm -hmm. At all. I think it means I need to come into deep acceptance of my reparenting work is mine. And so in those moments that I want my person to go and do that active service for me, I need to take responsibility for the story I tell myself about what that means, um, why I feel like I need this. And are those some things that I can give to myself versus making that person wrong for the way that they love, which just mm -hmm. may not be the way they experience the world. You know what I mean? And I chose them a lot of times to, I believe, heal that within myself versus making that their responsibility. Yeah. And I think an exercise in doing that, that I have found to be helpful is when I get in that moment of activation of like, ah, I, I you know, it'd be nice if you got me a fucking napkin too, when you walked over, cause I would get up and get you one if I walked over to get a napkin, you know, cause like, these are real examples where that shit comes up. Um, if I can get out of that just long enough where I can say like, I mean, this is a little bit of like a, a bit of a CBT skill. This really is kind of like the thought, the pattern, changing pattern, changing thought processes where you're like, today, this moment today, what has my partner done 
to show me love. Like, and it might not be something that I've registered, which is why actually it takes a little bit of like pause, stop, think back, reflect, because if in the moment it wasn't an act of service, it might've bounced right off me. But if I actually stop and I go, what have they done today in their language to show me that I'm cared for, that I'm appreciated, that I'm loved nine out of 10 times, I'm going to come up with a list, right? Um, and many times it's, it's a gateway I find to then do the work that Danae is saying, which is like, then the, like, how can I do this for myself and do the repair can work for myself? If I do a little bit of the thought stopping where I go, Vanessa, cut it out, <laughs> cut it out. What if, what has he done today? Like you're being unfair, right? He's actually shown you in these other ways and you just didn't, they kind of went by your eyes, you know? Um, so I, I, I have found that kind of combining those two exercises is, is helpful. But again, I don't know that it's realistic that it's never not going to come up in some way um, because I think it's just, it's ingrained. It's like a deep part of our story, right? And so to Danae's point, we grew up, we're attracted to each other. And this goes for friend relationships too, because I don't know about, about you all, but I have been in this exact kind of dynamic with friends too, where like, even in friendships, I show my love in certain ways and they show their love in certain ways. You know, Danae is a words person. She'll give me words all day long. And I'm like, ah, oh, thanks. You're awesome. Love you. <laughs> like, I don't know what to say to that, you know, because I'm so not a words person. And yet I will over function and do all these things thinking I'm loving her, I'm loving her, I'm loving her, right? And so it shows up totally in non-romantic relationships as well. Um, but yeah, that's <laughs> a bit of a tangent, but it's so true. I think we're so programmed to believe that love is about what I get. Yeah. And I just don't think that's true. I think love is about what I give. Mm-hmm. I am meant to give myself all of the things that I'm longing for from this person. If I want words of affirmation, I got to stand in the mirror and say, Danae, you rule. I'm proud of you. You're amazing. So then I can go and like love Vanessa in the way that feels like love for her, which is like, what can I take off your plate? I know that feels like love to you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that's how most of us are programmed to experience love. But here's the thing that my 11 and a half year marriage ending taught me that I couldn't see until I was on the outside of it. A lot of times the way that we are conditioned to hold love, and this is an unpopular opinion, but I believe that it's true, is with a deep sense of entitlement. I felt entitled to my husband until it was over. And then I realized all of those things that he did for me that um, went on in our dynamic that I, I felt like this is just like what I, you know, some people go through their entire lives and never have someone that loves them, you guys. And I couldn't see that until I was on the outside of it. And it is always a gift, I believe, to have someone to love us. And so how do I hold it with that sacred nature? And to Vanessa's point, that's the practice every day. How do I come back to this person isn't promised? I don't know. Like, And that's the thing for me with attachment. I think with attachment sometimes comes entitlement. Like the, you're here, you're not going anywhere. It's like, no, it's always an illusion. I didn't think my marriage was going to end. Um, And it did. And I saw how much I wasn't really present in the marriage a lot of times because I thought it was always going to be there because what I had faith in was, as John would say, the promise, what I believed was real was the attachment, Mm -hmm. the attachment, the piece of paper. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's an illusion from my perspective. That's all really helpful. Thank you. I I think that um, I like the reframing of what sounds like just a gratitude practice and not knocking gratitude practices at all. Mm-hmm. But there's always sort of a little bit of like an edge to, am I just trying to be positive in the face of feeling negative about something? Well, yes. And there's usefulness in that while also honoring what I'm feeling and, and being true to what I'm feeling and not kind of putting on a face or a show like, oh no, it's okay. It's okay. When really inside, I'm not feeling like it is okay. Um, yeah, that's, that's the walk that I'm walking very. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I like that too. Like, cause it's like, I'm thinking about my recent kind of like, I was just saying like, fuck this, I'm going to be who I am no matter what. Um, and a little bit of that is in response to similar kind of conversations around you love me in this way. I love you in this way. It doesn't match. We don't know. Um, and I need to decide if it's something I want to participate in. And the best way to decide that is just to say, like, I am going to show up how I'm going to show up and I'm going to love in the way that I love to the best of my ability. Um, but I don't control whether or not this person decides if they want to participate in my love. Um, and I'm not going to change myself or 
not chained as in like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to give words if it feels like I know that they want it because and if it feels natural to me, but change as in like mold and shift and become somebody I'm not in order to attempt to hold on to that attachment because that's not real and that's not loving. Right. Um, And so you do get to decide ultimately, you know, and it's not, it's not a black and white for a lot of us. Um, But I think it starts with the practice and then through time of that reparenting that starts to happen, then you'll have a clearer idea of, is this me really not wanting to participate in this? Or is this actually just that reparenting work? And now I'm over that like hump in, in a way. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Something I just, what you just said brought up for me is like something I hear the Gottmans speak to and maybe some other um, couples therapy modalities speak to often is that like people will have the same conflict fight in partner- partnership throughout the entire trajectory of their time together. And a lot of times it is, this is the thing that you're doing that I want you to do differently. But what I have come to understand about the human psyche is the part of us that felt um, unloved in our family of origin will always resist someone else attempting to change us. And so this is why like your partner Mm -hmm. will do thing for like a couple months and then they'll go back to the behavior pattern. You're like, you're doing it again. And I thought we talked about this. It's because our subconscious wants to be loved unconditionally. And so if you're in the space of, I need you to change in order for me to love you, it's not conscious, but I I resist that. I reject that. And I resent that because I feel like if you really loved me, you would love me for who I am. And the like deeper layer of that is I kind of don't when it's like, it's a conditional, like, I will love you if you do this yeah. thing that feels like love to me, but isn't like who you were when I met you. I need you to change in order for you to be lovable in my eyes. But our subconscious is like, but, but wait, like, that's not loving me. That's loving an idea of me, a projection that you have of what someone should be that's lovable, but that has nothing to do with me, you know? Yeah. And it, that, you just brought up a really interesting point. And I don't want to, I don't want to take up all the time on this, but one of the things that I, I sort of keep struggling with is the, that these were things that he was doing and, and doing freely without being asked and with love and affection. And it seems to have changed. Mm. And now I'm having to ask and I'm not sure why. Mm. And that's sort of the, <clears throat> you know, that's the thing. Like, he was doing it. So there, in a way, I feel like the expectation was created. Mm. Then it kind of fell away. And I'm not sure why. And I know, I mean, you get busy and you ebb and flow and I get that. And we've been together a long time. So <clears throat> I understand that. But I think I'm sort of struggling with, is there an ability for consistency of effort? And is there a desire for consistent effort? And if there isn't, that's okay. But I need to know. I need that. I need that honesty. Yeah. You know, I think that becomes like a recognition of maybe there are ways that my partner is sort of, um, and this isn't because we all do this, this isn't to shame him, but like he is in the space of um, believing in like, you know, and we do, we're human. Like we get, we get complacent. We don't feel like I need to be present in this partnership. But I think what I have found, and this is, you guys have heard me quote Ayanna Van Sant on this one so many times. Um, I don't think that we get to decide how people love us. I think we just get to decide if we want to participate in the way that they love. And so that becomes, I can clearly state what feels like love for me, what I desire, what I long for, but then that person um, gets to decide how they show up. And then my 100%, my boundary is, does this work for me or not? You know what I mean? Because that's the information. And what I do with that information is for me to own. I think that's important for me to remember to stay focused on myself. Mm -hmm. So one person's just strictly saying, I want to start dating again, but I'm afraid my codependency patterns will show up. Um, One is saying how to be okay and function when your husband ignores you for days. Mm -hmm. And they say, I'm a true codependent. And then the other one is, how can I stop controlling what my partner doesn't do? Just kind of similar to what we were talking about. Kelly. How do I know when I'm mothering? I feel like those three, even though they all sound different, there is some some kind of 
connecting thread, connecting tissue in there, right? Which is, uh, I guess, a little bit of what we were just talking about with Kelly, but it's this idea of kind of like um, controlling, controlling another person, being okay with somebody being who they are, right? Taking the taking the information and doing with it what you will. Yeah. You know, I think the different couples therapy modalities and, you know, we're talking about it in terms of romantic love, but as Vanessa was stating, I think these are true in all of our relationships. I think so often the, the modalities sort of, um, like teach us how to communicate more effectively to get this person to behave the way that I would like them to behave, which again, I don't think ends up being really sustainable. So if I have a partner that tends to stonewall me and um, that like brings up a lot of activation for me, I can work my little tush off to communicate more effectively around like why this hurts and why I would like you to be more, um, you know, present and all of the things. And that person can do that for a while. But I think the opportunity that is often missed is for me to get into the deep inquiry around like, what is historic about this? Like what parent used to like shut down and not talk to me when I did something and I didn't know what I did and, and, and what feels familiar and how do I love myself through it? And we pick our partners, I believe as an opportunity to do some of that reparenting work. But what we have been conditioned to believe is the way to do that reparenting work is to get this person to be, and let me mold them into that person that I have longed to feel present in my life the whole time where it's just the way that I believe we are wired energetically. Whereas if I shift, the paradigm shifts. So if this person is stonewalling me and I do a lot of self-containment and I go into, like Kelly was saying, taking care of myself and owning my hundred percent, all of a sudden energetically, that person's like, well, well, well where'd you go? What, what's happening? <laughs> right? Like you're, not, re- you're I, not reacting the way I want you to react. If I'm not like pulling energetically, and this is the push pull, the anxious avoidant, the like runner chaser, they're a pursuer. Yeah. It's, it's just energy, you guys. It's like, we are energy. And so we feed off of one another. And if, so if I see that person energetically pulling away and being an avoidant energy, instead of, if I like go and grasp with just like what we resist persists. So if I resist them pulling away and I'm like, no, got to come back to me, they're going to, it's just going to get bigger. Whereas if I say, okay, this is my work, I got to contain myself. I got to bring the focus back to why I'm okay. Why I've always got me, um, you know, how I fill my days to sort of like allow myself to self-soothe through what this is bringing up. All of a sudden the energy between us shifts, but as long as I need that person to be anything other than who they are in order for me to be okay, not only does that person hold power um, in a way that is not like a really healthy dynamic between us, because it becomes like an unbalanced dynamic, but that requires compliance. And if they, yeah. if they won't comply, then what, what am I going to do then? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, to give a like tangible example of this, it's this idea of like, you know, I, I've probably used this example before, but it's like, I've always been that person where it's like, you good, you good. Everybody good. Are, are you okay? Is anything wrong? What's wrong? Are you okay? Does anybody need anything? Are you good? It's like constant, like, it's like the anticipation we were saying, like, people's needs but also just like feeling it knowing like this person told him this for you know and then attempting to get them to kind of open up and tell me and one of the like major behavior changes that I've done in the last maybe year or two has just been like I'm not doing that anymore we're all adults here if something is wrong and you want to talk to me about what is wrong I'm here and you can come to me but I'm no longer walking into a room being the person that's going to like beg and pry it out of you um, and also I'm not going to be the person that is going to tolerate or be in the room when you do the, the kind of, um, to be honest, kind of emotionally abusive thing, which is the, like, I'm going to, I'm going to take that love away from you. I'm going to cold shoulder you. I'm going to stonewall you, which a lot of us experience in childhood, right? It can be a very emotionally abusive. It's a manipulation tactic. I'm going to withdraw affection as a way to get you to do what I want you to do, which is to then tell me that I see you and I see you're hurting and like, what can I do? And like, will you talk to me? Right. Cause both that's just inner child stuff on both sides. Right. Even the person who's stonewalling is still acting from that inner child. Like they're still attempting to get a need met. Right. Um, they probably didn't get met when they were a kid, but 
the idea of participation is like, I'm not going to participate in that dance anymore. Like I'm going to be responsible for me and tending my inner child, which is the one that wants to do the like, please talk to me, please. Talk. What do you need? What can I do? Right. And if that is doing the opposite, that behavior, then, then sitting with myself is doing that actual, that healing work. Right. Um, but what I am going to also do is probably take myself out of this situation. I'm not going to hang out here anymore because this feels not loving to me. Um, like with love, I'm not abandoning you too, but I'm going to say to you, like, I'm going to go take care of me. Um, and I'm going to, you know, go take a walk, go see friends, like whatever I need to do. Uh, but I'm not going to sit in it with you right in that moment, because I know that's activating for me. Yeah. To me, interdependence is both of us taking responsibility for bringing our inner adult to the conversation. Meaning if Vanessa does the thing she's describing and she goes and fixes and what's happening, are you okay? What's going on with you? What she is robbing her partner of is the opportunity to bring his inner adult or your friend's inner adult to the table and say, if there is something happening for me, I need to communicate. I need to use my words. We sometimes say to children and talk about it and say, here's what I'm feeling frustrated about. Right. But I'm not, I'm not giving my partner or person the opportunity to rise into that ability to meet me in adulthood either. If I do the fixing work for them. So it's both people are, Mm -hmm. are benefiting from us bringing our inner adults. Like that person has to say the hard thing. They have to take responsibility for their frustrations and owning like, okay, what am I mad about? What's going on for me? Is this mine or is this my partner's or my friends? Like what if this is mine to own? And what if this is like me putting on someone else that's not their responsibility? But if I fix it for them before they've had the opportunity to do that inquiry for themselves, I'm robbing them of that opportunity. And frankly, that responsibility that is theirs. Like it's not, you know, you're not a child. And I think that so often, like what we have been taught relationally is like, let's keep one another in this stagnant state of childhood abandonment versus like, no, all of us Mm -hmm. have the opportunity to reparent ourselves, to bring our inner adult to the table and have hard conversations or do the thing that's hard, like stay with myself. Yeah. I think that's what interdependence gives us the opportunity to rise into. And that's the other person's decision to make, right? Like if we stay with that example, if I've decided I am no longer to, going to actively participate in this dance, right? And to be clear, I, I communicate that most likely in a time of non-activation. Like here's some things I've noticed about myself, some of my bad habits and patterns. Here's what I'm no longer going to be participating in. So there's no surprises when it happens because it will, especially if that's like our dance, right? Um, so when that happens and I step out and I tend to me and I don't fall back into my bad behaviors, my old habits, um, that person then gets to decide for themselves and they might decide that they don't want to rise to the occasion. They might decide to get upset or resentful or huffy or whatever about the fact that I'm not doing what I should be doing. I'm not playing my role that I've always played, right? Like you're supposed to come to me and get me to talk. This is your role, right? This is how we do it. This is our dance. But first of all, I'll never get to that point of knowing to Danae's point. I'll never even get the opportunity to see if they'll rise to the occasion. But then in a completely separate note, again, information, right? If this person chooses to attempt, and probably not perfectly, um, attempt to bring their inner adult to the conversation, um, great. That's awesome information for me. If they say, I'm not doing that, that's also information for me. Right. And then I get to decide kind of how I act in in times. Yeah. But that's, I mean, I love that specific example that you just described V, because I think that that's what I mean when I say a lot of us aren't actually like loving or experiencing love, just attempting to maintain attachments. And so if like, I'm doing the thing that I've always done, so you don't leave me, like, I'm not actually loving you and you're not loving me. We're just attempting to like, perpetuate the wounds of our inner children with one another. And that's not love. That's, that's like perpetuating wounds and and like Mm -hmm. maintaining attachments and like sweet. But like, I think that a lot of times we are like hiding out from some of our deeper healing work and we're not becoming the more self-actualized versions of ourselves that we have the opportunity to be like in the example Vanessa's giving, that gives my partner the opportunity to become a more self-actualized version of self by saying, no, I deserve to take up space with what's happening for me. Let me identify what's happening for me and let's talk about it. And then when we have that conversation, then that's actual intimacy. 
then that's actually like us really meeting one another versus just offending against what we're afraid of, you know? Mm -hmm. Christy, would you be brave enough to talk about how and why the information gathering process is so tough? Because I have an idea that it's actually not the information gathering. It's the what you do with the information that's actually tough. But I'd be curious to know if you could speak to why you think the actual gathering of information is tough. Sure. Um, I think it's, um, I think it's like, what do you do with it? Right? Like, Mm -hmm. um, I found that both with my mother and with my ex, when I got into therapy, and I would talk to them, they would be super dismissive. And um, so I think for me, like, when we were talking about like the finger pointing, and I noticed they would have a certain amount of defensiveness. And I always like to extend grace, which is like in parentheses, codependency. <laughs> um, I think it's just hard to know what to do with them. What I'm realizing is that it has to do with alignment and somebody's capacity to meet you, right? Their willingness, capacity, and capability. But I think it's really challenging at times. Like I remember with my ex, we had talked about... Um, having a different kind of relationship, a conscious relationship. And I was in therapy and he said that he was willing to do it. And then it came about that he said he was willing, but that he, he was willing that he was willing to do it, but he didn't say he would do it. (laughs) And so I was (laughs) like, what? Um, And so I, I think it's just really hard with attachments. Once you gather that information to have the strength and the willingness to see it for what it is. And that attachment mm-hmm. is so sticky. Like, it feels like a great puzzle to me. Mm. So that's what I was kind of hoping that you would get to, which <laughs> is, it's not actually the information gathering no. process that part. That's actually pretty easy. Right. Um, if we step back and allow people to be who they are, right? The information process is not difficult. It's what we do with that information. Yeah. That is then difficult, Right. Because that requires action. That requires us to challenge old ways of being. That requires us to let go of unhealthy habits and behaviors and patterns and attachments, right? Um, and sometimes that action is the hardest thing. Yeah. Um, but I think the information is always there. <laughs> I oh. think that's true. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, Vanessa and I were having a conversation the other day about like something that I feel like you hear people in 12-step communities speak to a lot is you know, it's a lot less fun drinking with little AA in your head, right? So I think that's true of our relationships as well. Like once I'm aware of the ways that I've gathered mm-hmm. this information, I'm clear that I'm self-abandoning. It's kind of hard to sit in this information once I have it. And so mm-hmm. I think to Vanessa's point, that's the hard, the hard that I know, like I'm, I'm betraying myself here by staying in this dynamic. Um, it feels awful. <laughs> it feels awful to be in a space of like, I know this isn't true. I know this isn't an alignment. And yet I'm sort of not in the space where I'm willing to say, and now I got to do something about it. That's really hard step for me to take. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to Vanessa's point, I, I think like once you see it, you can't unsee it. And at those moments in time, I think I was, um, not truly trusting myself and knowing in my gut what is true. I had, um, a sort of a pathological um, hope that, you know, mm. maybe with conversation and, you know, I think it's that like codependent and educator in me that like, maybe with time people will evolve. And, you know, I think sometimes the evidence is just right there and it's just being willing to, to meet it where it's at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what were you going to yeah, say? I mean- I was just going to say that I'm part of a little quick and then I want to see all his hand went up and then back down. But I was going to say um, it requires great trust in ourselves to take action. Period. Any action, by the way. It requires a lot less trust in ourselves to push the other person to take action. <laughs> right? It requires a lot of trust in ourselves to be the one to take action. And whatever that action is, whether that's action, like maybe that's me leaving, whether that's me coming to you and speaking up about something, like whatever that action is, it doesn't have to be leaving, like as like the ultimate action, you know? Um, but I think it requires a lot less trust in ourselves to be the kind of passive uh, getter, <laughs> you know, receiver 
of that um, than be the one that's doing it. Before you go, I just, this woman, Dr. Candace, that was on our podcast earlier this week said something that was like, moment for me. She was saying that like, a lot of times the like being in anger and resentment is so much easier than actually like attempting to speak to the desire, speak to the need, because then I have to sit in the unbelievably vulnerable position of if you don't do it, then that's scary. But also then I got to make a decision. I got to do something. Um, So I can just like stay angry with you. And that feels safer a lot of times than if I actually ask that my need be met, then I got to like be confronted with like one, you're not going to do it or like whatever it brings up for me. But also like that, that's like a, um, what's the word? Like I'm asking for, for you to meet me there. And if you can't, or you won't, then then that like there's heartbreak in that, I guess. Yeah. I have to hold myself accountable. Right. Yeah. I gotta hold myself accountable for taking action. And it's part. rejection, you know, like that I can oh, feel yeah. rejected by your unwillingness to meet my needs. And that that's painful. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Mm. Thank you, Crystal. Hello. I'm oh, so excited to be here. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah. We're glad to have you. <sighs> Hey, um, so this is my like self-care gift. I'm just so happy. I was like trying to do all things to get here and we have a new puppy. So it's like new baby with teeth. It's exceptionally (laughs) sharp. Um, and my partner, you know, was like, let me take her and you, you, you be, you be you in this moment. (laughs) Great. But what I've just been appreciating about, um, the reflections here is how to be with action as you and he's just noted and the courage piece of really being open to the wounds that are there and potential like super ouch upon them. And the thing that inspired me to raise my hand was um, how to have compassion for ourselves in the process. Because for me, um, I, I'm really good at navigating anxiety and anger for me is something I've not done a lot of exploration around. And it's been really up for me in these last few months since miscarrying and my hormones have just been like, and grief has been gripping me in this really unique way where I, none of the tools that I normally use are effective. (laughs) So it's like, um, when I have moments of, I should know better. I'm, 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 you know, a therapist or I'm a yogi or, you know, I'm, I'm a good person (laughs) and I'm, I'm aware of speaking to my need or being emotionally reactive because it's different than me just shutting it down, which is an older way of being. So when we're making a different choice, it can still be kind of ugly and stinky. Um, but the point is making the different choice and then taking inventory of, okay, that was different, maybe not super effective, but the pendulum swinging is part of the process, right? So um, how to not whip ourselves through making mistakes as we learn and, and being unconditionally loving towards ourselves, you know? And my partner is like, hears me all the time talking to myself. He's like, you're just telling yourself how much you love yourself all day long. I'm like, yeah, because I need to hear it. And, you know, I'm used to having a huge community around me and being with 300 children a week. And since 2020, that's just not happening. So I need a lot of, I need a lot more chatter. And even if it's just my own mirror, you know? Yeah. yeah. I love Ella. And I feel like some of you who've been in these groups with me recently have heard me say that I like, that has been a recent practice for myself of mm-hmm. literally talking to my inner child out loud and saying, like, of course you feel that way, Danae. Of course you're not ridiculous for like being sad. Of course you're lonely. Some like, yeah, you get to feel that it's okay. Like literally talking to her out loud. And I can't mm-hmm. you know, like to the point you're making, like, it has been so unbelievably healing you guys, like giving myself the thing that I believe that like, I'm longing to hear from some external source, like really, because it feels different when I like say it. And I like, am in the inquiry of like, do I believe that I deserve that? Do I believe that I deserve my own compassion? If I'm in relationship with it enough to like talk to myself about it, 
it's been so unbelievably healing. It really is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if it's hard to find the words for it, I mean, using presence practices, gestalt practices, you know, IFS, whatever the model is, but even if you don't have psychology in, in the back of your mind, how do you feel it in your body? I think is a really great place to start of like, I don't know, there, I've always had the gift of gab, but there have been moments where I just don't have words to articulate my needs or what I'm feeling. So being able to characterize it or see it as a texture or color mm -hmm. in my body and going to that place first um, and, and like <laughs> noticing how I feel towards it and what it needs, mm -hmm. because sometimes we're so blended with our reaction, which is from a previous trauma um, or need not being met that was so out, super ouchy um, to to be in the present moment with it now is we're going to give it the we're going to give it what it needs more than anybody else because we know exactly how to tune in if we can just give it a moment you know I yeah. love that what I was what it was bringing up for me all when you were talking is I was thinking about how so often these like you know, I'm changing patterns, I'm changing behaviors and actually putting it into action and doing the thing that feels uncomfortable. I think I feel like I hear maybe some iteration of there's like this expectation that when I do the thing that is quote unquote, right, that it will feel right. And that I'll right. feel better. And it's like, no, no, that happens actually. Well, sometimes in the beginning, that actually feels kind of worse. Right. Yeah. Even the idea yeah. of like, I know that I'm choosing myself. It's like, well, but why does choosing myself feel so shitty sometimes? Right. Um, yeah. Because we admit, I think goes back to having compassion for self. Like you still got to be able to stay with yourself and say, even if it feels in my body, ugh, like I still know that it's okay. Like to your point today, like, of course you feel that way. Of course you've been taught however long your life has been, but that's not okay. That that's not how you respond. That that's not how you're going to mm -hmm. get love. Right. So of course that's going to feel yucky. Of course that's going to feel uncomfortable. doesn't mean that it's like the wrong choice. It doesn't mean that you, you know, you aren't still leaning into attempting to be this best version of yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I hear a version of that a lot, right? Like if this is the way I'm quote unquote supposed to be, how come it feels almost like wrong? Absolutely. Um, that's and a really leading, important like, Living in that space with like, Hey, but it feels, uncomfortable right and to bring it back to like the theme of, of today it's it's you're not abandoning yourself that's what's different that's in the process different. of witnessing how shitty it feels and sometimes right. that's the only thing we can do um, mm -hmm. and and that was really hard for our caretakers or for friends or for a lot of people mm -hmm. in our lives who didn't have the tools and weren't even aware of that being the thing that was needed and that's the difference mm -hmm. and just a tiny shift you know and I do believe your body will be the map. So, you know, I talk about when, like, I always just use boundaries as the example, but like, if I've grown up without any capability of setting clear boundaries, right. And then I suddenly understand and discover the, the power of boundaries for a lot of us, what that's going to look like is a lot of walls, bam, 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 bam. Yeah. Right. Um, and I was actually just talking to a client about this the other day. And she's like, but why does that feel so horrible? And I said, well, because that's not actually a boundary. That's a wall. You basically like yeah. metaphorically punch somebody in their face. <laughs> that wasn't actually a boundary, right? And I'm not saying you quote unquote did it wrong, but what I'm saying is your body is the guide. So you need to kind of hang out in that other extreme for a while so that your body can really register, ooh, well, that doesn't really feel good either. What would middle ground feel like, right? Mm. But a lot of times we don't know what that kind of middle space feels like until we have a felt experience of what each extreme feels like. And so can mm -hmm. you give your body the experience of playing around with these different approaches to not abandon itself so that mm -hmm. eventually it does start to feel like home. It does start to feel like, oh, I feel a semblance of like, there's something good in this, right? I can feel it, but that might not happen right away. And can you give mm -hmm. yourself the time to actually embody that feeling through practice? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. And I don't know if this is a, what you guys think about the Gottman approach to I, this just popped in my head and I'm curious if it's valuable to anybody else. But um, before all the like wildness and storms occurred for my partner and I in these last couple months, we had the practice of noticing that we had a pattern of kind of having tension before bed because part of me mm -hmm. really wanted to be told how loved and tell me one good thing that happened today. And I'm like, shit, I'm totally being a therapist in bed right now. Um but 
there was this pattern of wanting connection before falling into sleep and transition is vulnerable for a lot of us. Um, in the Gottman practice of knowing that you tend to have an argument or a fight coming home from your in-laws or, you know, there's certain, certain patterns of consciousness that get into play and to, to prescribe engaging with it intentionally before it just happens to you. And I would do that jokingly with an accent. We would have play fights and we haven't had play fights in a while. And I think it's something that I'm curious about even just doing with art or my like being, being with those parts in myself and being playful in a, in a prescribed mm-hmm. way of engaging with anger mm-hmm. and with compassion in that way. So just, yeah. just playing with all the things, <laughs> you know, something you said a little while ago that I wrote down, cause I thought it was so good. Ellis, we know what we need more than anybody else. And what I find with so many of the couples therapy modalities is just, there's such an externalization of our power in that Mm -hmm. it's like, I need this person to say this thing to me in a specific way to suit me. Ha. But the thing is nobody else has the script in our head except us. So if I take the power of like, what do I need to hear? Can Mm -hmm. I offer that to me? Then I can offer to my partner some of what I am, you know, like some of that love and then if we're both doing that, then that's a reciprocal dynamic. But I just, right. I think that so often it's like, I can't be soothed internally until I hear that precise thing that I'm needing mm-hmm. to hear that I didn't hear from my parent. And it's like, yeah. And that person also has the precise things they're grappling with that they didn't experience from a parent. And we really lose sight of that. I find a lot of times when I'm looking for someone else to do that reparenting for me. But if instead I say, like you said, I know what I need to hear. What if right. I offered me some of that right now? Yeah. Made that yeah. practice. It just, it gives us a little bit more capacity to meet that other person. Oh, absolutely. And I, I'll just own, I've definitely made the mistake and be like, what would be great to hear is, and like leading with coaching. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, that's not my languaging. And I'm like, right, that's my languaging. That's what yeah. I'm needing to hear. So he'll actually hear me talk to myself and then he'll, he'll kind of like give it to me a little later when I'm not expecting it. And it doesn't even register for me. And he's like, mm. you do realize I said the thing, just not when you needed it, you know, and I'm like, exactly wow. the way you wanted me to say it. And somehow right? that's what I was saying. Well, I'm not present. It's right by you. Cause you're not even, exactly. yeah. It's not about yeah. that person. It's literally mm-hmm. about me. And that's nope. why it's just so much more valuable to tap into like, how can I give me that? So I can actually be loving with this person. Right. Exactly. Thank you both. Well, and for those of you who have been our, our kind of founding members, we appreciate you all. Um, and, you know, we'll open it up again to just say, like, if there's anything that you have found that's working or not working, anything about the structure, you know, we're playing with this new platform, like, give us all, give us all the tidbits, you know, we want to hear it. This is obviously your community, first and foremost, we want to make sure that it's just working as best as it can for you all. And the good thing about this platform too, is that they're kind of constantly adding new things. So um, there might be new ways that we can, I don't know, add more bells and whistles if that's what we want to it. We'll see, but it's a constant evolution. I had my first meeting with um, the kind of the healer circle group this week, and it was small, but potent. And so for any of you all that um, are called to join within that group. That's going to be a, a private group, um, kind of meeting a couple times a month, very specifically around topics of being in the community as a healer, right? And and providing support and community for that. So that's kind of a separate thing that we're doing, but it was exciting to get together and hold space for each other in that way. And I miss that. I miss it. I miss supervision, even though sometimes my supervisor was not the most helpful. <laughs> I do miss the community aspect of it. So um, yeah, hit me up if that's something you want to join. Yeah, I think, you know, thank you all so much for being here. We know what it is to carve out this time in your day. And um, we just appreciate the way you guys show up and hold space for one another and yourselves always um, never cease to be inspired by who you guys are. It's just like the most potent community. And I think what you guys could do for Vanessa and I um, to support the building of the community is like, share with, you know, five of your friends, say we're like building community and like of like-minded seekers. And um, let's just get some people in here so we can really like, you know, support one another and thrive together. All right, you all have a good weekend.
See you next week. Bye, you guys. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.